0: You know, Jesus talks about the seed. When he talks about dying to self, he talks about the seed going into the ground and it feels like a death. But then guess what? That seed produces a beautiful, even more of what it's supposed to be. And that's what that death means. It doesn't mean obliterate it and leave it in the ground. It means so that you can become even more of what God created you to be.
1: Welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthardt, and I'm part of the Wellspring team. At Wellspring and Soul Care, we deeply desire to see pastors, leaders, really all of us, lead and serve God and others from a well-tended inner life. We recognize that the pressures and the challenges that many of us are facing feel enormous. And so we want to walk and journey with you in whatever ways that make sense for you, this podcast is one of those ways where we sit down with pastors, authors, thought leaders, and others that are seeking to practice life and ministry in the ways of Jesus. With all the different voices out there clamoring for your attention, we want to point to ones that are centered on the ways of Jesus and can help us hopefully attend to what is happening inside of us and what God is inviting us into. So today's podcast is one that I think you're going to enjoy. It's a conversation with Alison Cook, who co-wrote Boundaries for Your Soul, but her latest book called The Best of You is a really valuable guide and resource for you as well. In our podcast today, we talk about her own faith journey, and, but about this book too, this idea of what does it mean to care for ourselves, not to abandon self-care, but not to become selfish, and what does that actually all mean, and so if you're one that struggles with, what does it mean to actually care for myself well with God so that I can care well for others, this podcast is for you. So enjoy our conversation today with Allison Cook. Well, Allison, thank you so much for taking some time to to sit and talk with us today. And I'm really excited for this conversation, having read Uh, A couple of your books and and followed you on social media and seeing the really, uh, I think, beautiful work that you're doing that is so helpful. But um, but I'd love to just start by asking, tell us a little bit about kind of your own background. How did you end up where you know, kind of what was your upbringing and how did you end up doing what you're doing now?
0: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, Richard. I really love what you're doing and the ministry that you have and just really grateful to be here speaking with you and, and, uh, the folks that you serve. Um, I got started, uh, my work started, you know, it's sort of cliche, but I, um, I was that, you know, grew up in a Christian home and knew a lot about God and, um, had a real powerful experience. Um, actually ironically on my, I went off to, um, Dartmouth College, uh, which is where I ex- encountered Jesus, which is not necessarily what one would think. I grew up in right. a really Christianized town in a small town in Wyoming, and then I went off to college, and what would many would consider a not necessarily the place where you'd you'd really find, but there was great Christian right. community there, and really had an encounter with Jesus um, uh, that was very life changing, but mm. knew very very little about myself, mm. very ill equipped to for adulthood, very ill equipped to know how to navigate, you know, I like to say, I, I I never lost my faith in God, but I had no faith in myself. (laughs) Mm, And, mm. and so, you know, the cliche is then I went to study to become a counselor, right? You know, the cliche (laughs) is people go into studying uh, to be a a counselor when they're trying to heal themselves. I think there's some truth in that, but I also had some genuine gifts. I knew how Mm. to read, I always, you know, knew how to kind of read other people, high in Mm. empathy, could sense pain, um, wanted to you know, intellectually sort out, how do we solve these things? So kind of the overlay of knowing a lot about God was then I learned a lot about other people, learned a lot about mm. how to help other people, still didn't know anything about myself. <laughs> so the 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 short, so that, that, you know, all this training, I'm almost finished with doctoral work in psychology. My degree is actually in psychology and theology. So a lot about God, a lot about other people, and essentially kind of hit my own burnout. Just, mm. just. The knowing a lot about God and a lot about helping others kind of was great, but when it's not anchored in a strong sense of self, which leads yeah. to to my new book, um, I I ended up uh, literally one day just having a panic attack and and kind of everything coming rushing to the surface and mm. having to really pivot. And then figure out the self part of the love God, love others as self.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and so that, that's kind of the, the long version of uh, just really needing a lot of the work that I do now. The two books that I've written have flown at flowed out of my own journey of mm-hmm. needing to figure out how how do I bring myself into these relationships? How do yeah. I understand what it means to be a human um, who also loves God and wants to love other people?
1: I, I think that's really interesting to me in my observation in, in kind of many people that have grown up in church uh, and, I, and of course not limited to that, but many people that grew up fa- in church or faith circles, often this idea, like you said, love God. Okay. I got that idea at least uh, love others. Yep. Yeah, but, but self, we seem to have a very conflicted or maybe even confused relationship with self. Can you speak to that? Why do you think that is what maybe even particularly the pitfalls of, of, you know, uh, uh, our faith journey in knowing or understanding ourselves.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting because, okay, so historically, you look at Augustine, you look at Calvin, you look at St. Teresa, uh, a lot of great thinkers talked about this relationship. How can I know God when I'm far from my own self? That's Augustine. Mm-hmm. um Calvin starts off the institutes, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self go hand in hand, mm-hmm. uh, Teresa, the interior castles an exploration of her own, you know, self of the right. soul. Um, so it's not that this is a new idea, but also overlaid with that is a lot of messages. And I mean, you know, Jesus said, deny yourself, pick mm-hmm. up your cross and follow me. Um, and then kind of in evangelical cir- circles, I think we get these tropes or these cliches that I, I grew up in, in more of an evangelical setting, mm-hmm. you know, where self is bad. Mm -hmm. anything that is of you is bad, which I don't think is theologically and a lot. That's a lot of what I unpack in the best of you. Um, So I think there's been this confusion around this idea of self. And then you overlay that Richard with a culture that is moving more and more. I think the pendulum is swinging more and more toward self with a capital S only self Mm -hmm. self is, you know, what I feel is what I do. What I think is what is true and, and kind of divorcing any sense of that self from that, that I think that Trinitarian relationship with God that self, you know, my, my, um, my favorite author, you know, my, the one who shaped my, my, my thinking the most was Kierkegaard, whose mm-hmm. whole thing was the self is only understood in the, in the power of the being who created the self. Mm-hmm. Um, and his whole thing was the sickness unto death was, um, we when we lose ourselves is when we actually lose god you know it's Mm. all it it has to be linked Mm. but in our culture when we divorce self from god that's where we get into trouble so i think there's that side of the equation Mm -hmm. that's not helpful Mm. but then you get into the other side of the equation that self is bad Mm -hmm. deny yourself and you're denying good things good aspects of what god made and that's not healthy either
1: yeah, somebody said, maybe it was even you that said, you know, if you're going to deny yourself, you actually have to have a self to deny or to, That's right. you know, you and and so I think in your book, uh, which I really have appreciated, even though there's, it's, if you will, sort of aimed at a, a more uh, a, a female audience, but I think mm-hmm. there's so much, and we'll, I'd love to unpack that regarding faith leaders a little bit too, but, but you differentiate between these, and I love these categories, I think there was, there's the Um, selfishness, then selfhood, Mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, self, uh, I'm I'm blanking on the term right now that you know, that can you unpack those three categories a little bit for us?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I I come down talking about the strong sense of self as selfhood. Selfhood, And so people say, well, isn't it selfish? Right. Mm -hmm. And and so that's where I delineate. Well, selfishness is it's all about me.
2: Uh
0: It's all about me selflessness at its extreme, which is the, as Christians, we're supposed to be selfless, but that gets misconstrued as it's never about me. Uh It's always about others and selfhood, which is, I think the example we see in Jesus, a strong sense of self selfhood, which is the psychology term is it's about me and it's about you. You cannot Mm -hmm. unlink the two. So -hmm. in any relationship, including our relationship with God, but let's start with you and me. It's about you, you come to the table as you and all of who you are and your needs and wants and desires. I come to the table with who I am, with all my wants, needs, desires, preferences, and then together as two whole people, we have to figure out how to have a relationship.
2: Mm -hmm. That's
0: health. That, that, that gets into the real work. Um, It's not me saying it's all about you, whatever you need. I don't exist here. You know, that, that, that kind of extreme selflessness isn't healthy and it's not what we see in the life of Jesus.
1: Right, right. Uh, I wonder if some of this is, you know, I mean, maybe a, even a misunderstanding of, let's say, uh, um, you know, uh, is it Ephesians two ten, you know, and I, or it's, or Second Corinthians five seventeen. I, I've been crucified with Christ, and no, I, I no longer live, but Christ in me. And so this, this, I think, a misunderstanding uh, of this idea of that I need to sort of disappear. Yeah. You know, the I I'm gone and it's just and and that, frankly, almost to me uh, personally, it almost sounds like possession, you know, like, you yeah. know, Rich, like Richard doesn't live here anymore. Uh, but yeah. that's that's yeah. not really the invitation. It doesn't make is sense. It? No,
0: it doesn't make sense. And God is not I mean, God makes sense, you know, that it, it, so we have to think about that. You're, you're right. It's almost like then we become what am I, a puppet master? You know, God's a puppet mm-hmm. master. And I just sort of hope that's not free will. That's not agency. That's not the, the reality that God created us in God's image, you know, from Genesis 127, to be a part, to participate in governing, to participate in ordering, to participate even in naming. Mm-hmm.
2: If we look back
0: to Genesis, right? Mm. So, so it doesn't make sense if you look at the Bible as a whole. And what it does make sense is we There is an old, there are old ways, you know, and, and when you think about through the lens as a psychologist, I think about the lens of the old ways that we're supposed to put off to bring on Mm -hmm. the new self in Christ. Well, the old ways often link back. We we often think about the flesh, but also, which is ego, which is, you know, sure. The selfishness. Yes. Mm -hmm. We're putting Mm -hmm. that off. And also a lot of times it links back to our wounds, our Mm -hmm. traumas. We're putting off the old ways of learning how to people, please. We're learning how to put off the old ways of, of um, not having a strong sense of self, not knowing how to be assertive when it's time to be assertive, right? That could be something we need to put off in order to inhabit our own lives like Jesus did. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think we have to look, you know, I always think we have to look at the Bible, you know, as a whole, right? We have to kind of, if we pull that verse out, it's like, you can get really literal and that's what I tried to do all through my twenties. Like Mm. just obliterate myself, Mm -hmm. obliterate Mm -hmm. it. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And it was like, that doesn't actually work. Number one. And number two, it's not actually what I see in scripture. You know, Jesus talks about the seed. When he talks about dying to self, he talks about the seed going into the ground and it feels like a death, but then Mm -hmm. guess what? That seed produces a beautiful, even more of what it's supposed to be mm-hmm. and that's what that death means it doesn't mean obliterate it and leave it in the ground it means so that you can become even more of what god created
1: you to right be. wasn't it kierkegaard who is a, and now by god's <laughs> grace i shall become myself right yes that's, exactly yes. yeah
0: yeah that's the that's the dream
1: talked about many women are culturally both inside and outside faith communities often culturally conditioned to put their own needs last if at all to and that but then a church that gets really spiritualized that's being self that's being uh selfless and 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 so you you know you're it's, and I'm, I mean, with the silly, I mean, maybe it doesn't feel silly to others, but this Jesus others, you, you know, that, yeah. and so you're <laughs> at the bottom of the list. And if there's any yep. space left, right. And yeah, and that's, maybe. And, and that's joy. Right. But it's like, well, right. it didn't feel like it. Uh, but, but could you speak to that a little bit? Like how, how, that how does that get distorted because I know you talk a lot about this in the book how does this this message of selflessness get spiritualized into uh, almost a form of sainthood when it actually is yeah. it gets really unhealthy what what yeah. uh, how does that happen
0: and i want to i want just take a moment to say sure. I did write the book primarily for women primarily because yeah. that's who I work with and also this idea of both any anyone who's been in that position, whether you're a person of color or you've been a marginal part of a marginalized people group, I would put pastors in that. I mean, yep. and then too, I mean, it applies to all of us on right. some level. Exactly. But I'm thinking of pastors, ministry leaders, anybody who's in service, right? Put yourself last, yep. sideline yourself, and that isn't the message. And and I and I have to get on my, you know, Jesus had different messages for different people in scripture. Mm, mm. And I think, you know, so I'm speaking a lot to women in the book, but I keep hearing from so many men like, no, 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 this applies to us too. Like there's a message for a type of person that is so willing to set themselves aside where Jesus might be saying, I want you to actually come, come out, you know? And we see that in scripture. Jesus gives some people he does tell to step back, but, but a lot of people he's pulling them in to stand up. And mm. be lifted up. And so mm. I think that's that's one thing to remember that there's not a one size fits all mm-hmm. to how Jesus is teaching us mm. how to um, you know, be, you know, ultimately selfless in the sense that he was. Mm. So if we look at it in the sense of how Jesus was selfless, it wasn't not having a self, it wasn't not having needs, it wasn't not setting healthy boundaries, which Jesus did and modeled. Mm. It was having a higher purpose. Always being connected to, I can I can sacrifice because I understand the higher calling. It's not, I can sacrifice to be a doormat so that you can walk mm-hmm. all over me.
2: That mm. is not
0: the example we see in Jesus, mm. but that's how it gets translated, mm-hmm. right? Selflessness is, well, I'll just like, it's enabling essentially. I'll mm. just do nothing so you can do whatever you want, which is not actually helpful to other people and not actually the model that we see in Jesus. Jesus actually was pretty assertive with folks when they were out of line.
1: Right. For sure. And, and, (laughs) and when we spiritualize it away, if you will, like the, the fact that like, I don't, my own needs don't matter. And, you know, or we, we just push all that stuff sort of underground. It seems like inevitably it ends up leaking out in other ways. Right. Um, Like, you know, for me as a pastor for many years, I, I could, one of my, uh, indicators that i was ignoring myself was when i just started resenting other people or i started feeling you know i started becoming the the narrative in my head got to be you know look i, I, I all the things i'm doing for everybody else and nobody appreciates me i'm taken for granted yeah. um you know how, how else does that if when we when we ignore ourself or when yeah. we even spiritualize a lack of any kind of self-care or self-awareness what what happens to us?
0: Yeah, there's a term called spiritual bypassing I unpack mm. in the book. And the term originated by psychologists actually that were working with um it didn't originate out of Christian clients. It, it originated with psychologists who were working with sort of folks who were kind of buying into the quasi-new age. Follow your bliss. I'm just following my bliss. And they were mm-hmm. like, I think you're bypassing. Mm-hmm. some realities some painful realities that the that's how the term and and i started thinking about that term and i was like it, we do it as christians and it's what you're getting at we bypass we spiritualize it's over spiritualizing to the extent that we're bypassing cues that our emotions are sending us like mm-hmm. you said in resentment we spiritualize our emotions cues our bodies are sending us mm-hmm. i'm tired i'm anxious um I I have a feeling in my gut that something doesn't feel right. We, we, Mm. we spiritualize, well, you know, we spiritualize, um, so many ways, um, these inner resources that God Mm. has given us that we've labeled as bad. And again, you can get at these hierarchies. There's the joy one, you know, I learned the facts, faith, feelings, Mm -hmm. one feelings Mm -hmm. are the lowest and they're bad. And, you know, it's really all about the facts and it's like, actually, emotions are cues. God created us with emotions. They are cues that we need to hold in tension with facts, Mm. but we need to pay attention to them. Mm. And so when we spiritualize, so examples would be, you know, I'm feeling angry. Well, you know, God doesn't want you to feel angry. Just surf, (laughs) you know, or I'm feeling sad. You shouldn't feel sad. Look at all that Jesus has done for you. Mm. You know, I'm I'm feeling, um, you know, weary well you just should pray more you know Mm -hmm. as opposed to i'm feeling sad and uh, you know this was my first our first book boundaries for your soul is all about dealing with these emotions and and getting curious getting curious okay why am i feeling angry what's going on
2: Mm -hmm. is
0: something happening about which i should be angry is this a cue maybe maybe it's a cue from the past Something that happened long ago. There's a there's a trauma response going on where actually I shouldn't be angry in this moment, but it's reminding me of something that happened long ago. There's a lot of reasons we feel these things, and they're important to pay attention to. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of the spiritualizing is kind of slapping the the the, the cliche, the Bible verse, the quick fix. Um. Just pray it away. You know, I'm fearful. Just pray that fear away. Well, maybe there's a reason I'm fearful. <laughs> Let me take right. a look at it. Invite God into it and get deeper understanding, discernment and wisdom.
1: And of course, for many that if depending on your probably a combination of your family background, whether there was space or permission to to have or notice your feelings and name them and depending on your upbringing and faith, all those, you know, that constellation of factors that would, you know, shape how or in what way we we have that freedom and experience of of even noticing or being able to name or yeah. articulate our emotions what would you say to somebody that's and i'm sure you work with folks like this a, a lot which is a lot of us that boy that was this is new this is new territory for me i i i hear what you're saying but but i'm not even sure i'm aware of what's going on inside me i or i'm so sort of it's it feels foreign it feels maybe even selfish or it feels, uh, or, or even what's the point, you know, I could do it, I can name it, but who's going to care. And it's just going to bring to the surface things I can't do anything about. So how how would someone begin to do this in a healthy way if they're not, you know, familiar or, or used to doing something like that?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is exactly um, this. That's a great question. I mean, the first thing, is you got to get buy in that it matters, right? It mm-hmm. matters that we pay attention mm-hmm. to what Kurt Thompson, the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. a great, great guy, a Christian psychiatrist, wrote The Soul of Shame. Mm-hmm. He talks about paying attention to what you're paying attention to. So, mm-hmm. this idea of self awareness is what am I paying attention to? Why does it matter? Well, what if you're paying attention to shame? That's kind of his thing all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, really, what's in your mind most of the time is I suck, I'm not any good. I messed up again. You know, that is going to affect the quality of your relationships, the quality of your ministry, the quality of, you know, of your parenting.
1: Right.
0: So we need to pay attention or, or that uh, resentment or that envy. If we're not paying attention, those emotions, they catch up with us.
2: Mm-hmm. They don't go mm-hmm. away. Yeah. And
0: so they, they, there is a cost to mm-hmm. not paying mm-hmm. attention to not getting curious as we talk about getting curious, I, I believe it's part of a spiritual practice. So for me, when I go to have my time with God in the morning, I start, and, and this is the way I'm wired. I'm not super aware all the time of what I am, what's going on inside of me. Ironically, um, you know, it, it, for me, that's actually hard. And so I start there. Mm,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I start with, what am I noticing? Okay, I'm noticing this, this, and this. Then I go to God because I'm going to God more authentically, God, here's what I'm noticing,
2: Mm. you know,
0: Um, you know, and then I move into prayer because I'm then not praying to God or going to God out of this obligatory duty thing, or only to read, you know, kind of I'm reading something over here. That's not at all connected to what's going on in here. Yeah. Um, When I connect to myself and then, so, so you can do it. It's part of your spiritual practice. That's the examine. You know, Mm -hmm. you talked about like the ignition, what, what is, what is draining me right now? What is bringing me life? But also, Just like driving in the car to work, driving to pick up your kids from school, it's like, huh, getting curious. What am I thinking about? What's on Mm. my mind? What am Mm. I worried about? And you think about it. So you think of Jesus saying, love others as yourself, which is the implication is you already know how to care for yourself, love Mm. yourself. Mm. But for many people, it's reverse it. How would you show up for a friend? Mm. If a friend's in the car with me, I'd say, Hey, what's on your mind? What are you thinking about? What do you, what, what, what do you, uh, it's applying that to yourself. Huh? What am I thinking? What am I worried about? What, what's, what is bothering me in my soul? It's paying attention so that you name naming is taming. We name that and talk to God about it. Hmm. And then you're in prayer, right? You've reverse engineered yourself right into prayer, which is, wow, that's so interesting. God, I'm, I'm really worried about that. I didn't realize it. Help me understand why I'm so worried about that. And you're in a posture of curiosity with God versus shaming yourself for worrying in the first place.
1: Yeah. Such a different, different way of coming at it and not to uh, shut it down or turn it off. And it is interesting. Ignatius, who is known for the exam among other things, the the exercises, but within the examine, he actually encourages people to notice, as you reflect back on the previous day or whatever period of time, to l- look for an emotion and pray from that emotion, which is yeah. you know, just the wisdom. And so this isn't new, right? And yeah, and of course, the no. psalms are so full of of just emotion and naming it and 100%. even even emotion that many of us would be you know, really uncomfortable saying to God, and yet the psalmists uh, are very comfortable. Uh, naming whatever is happening inside uh, oh, of them.
0: There's rage. There's anger. There's vengeance. There's mm-hmm. there's sorrow, grief in the Psalms. I mean, that's a prayer journal that yeah. you know, you know, you're crying out to God. But golly, what better place? You know, if we don't do that, mm-hmm. those emotions are in there festering, yeah. and they'll come out one way or the
1: other. <laughs> Well, you talk about then as we people notice pain and and this word, the word trauma, I wanted to lean in with you a little bit because these, the word is used a lot these days. And so again, there's reactions. Some people probably uh, are like, uh, maybe have a mindset that, oh, everything, everybody's saying they're traumatized by everything. And so they kind of maybe dismiss the term and others Mm -hmm. maybe are not sure what to do with it. I, I've heard people say, and I think that makes sense. Like we've all been through a sort of collective trauma over the last couple Mm -hmm. of years with COVID and, but, but as as a therapist, as someone who works in this space, could you talk a little bit about trauma? Like, how do we, how do you name, what is, what is a trauma and, and how Mm -hmm. do we begin to work with that?
0: Yeah. In the best of you in chapter two, I go through sort of a history of how this word, a really simple kind of how this word, how we began to understand it. And, and in my research, I boil it down to, and this is from the work of Dr. Gabor. I never know. I don't know if you say it, mate or mate.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I apologize. Mm-hmm. I've looked it up several times and I see it both ways. <laughs> yeah. I need to ask him sometime. Um, but he, um, he talks about the fact that, and I think this is so profound and so beautiful that um this is from his film the wisdom of trauma that mm-hmm. we're not traumatized because painful things happen to us especially as children we're traumatized when we're alone mm-hmm. in our pain mm-hmm. and so trauma can be anything it, you know the big teacher we used to think of trauma as the big events you mm-hmm. know the the soldier coming back from war had ptsd and that's mm-hmm. absolutely real and that's that's the big you know, aha moment is there's some big T trauma there that you don't just get over. It it lives Mm -hmm. in the body. Mm -hmm. Um, And you look at, you know, childhood abuse, serious childhood abuse, childhood neglect, um, all sorts of these big T traumas where, you know, you witness violence, you witness, you know, sexual assault, or you are sexually assaulted, you know, yes, big T trauma. These create this, you know, creates a wound in the soul that is going to need a process of healing. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of been understood, but what, what psychologists began to notice is there's a whole series of little T traumas mm-hmm. that might be being childhood bullying. It mm-hmm. might be that you had parents that were pretty, weren't, weren't mean and weren't cruel, but were kind of absent mm-hmm. emotionally. Mm-hmm. And, Um, You were alone a lot. Or it might be, you know, there's all sorts of little T traumas. Something that happened at school that, again, in and of itself might not have become a wound. Mm. But in the absence of a loving presence, helping a child make sense of what happened, we tend to self-shame or Mm. self-blame. Those Mm. kids bullied me because I'm bad. Mm. That teacher didn't like me because there's something wrong with me. And we create, as children, that's the, that's the meaning that we make. And that carries with us into adulthood. If no one comes alongside and says, wait a minute, I think that's not what happened there. What if, well, you know, then we can heal. Then we don't care. But if, when we create that meaning inside of us, that memory lives. Mm -hmm. And so as adults, someone's mean to us, I'm bad. It's my fault. Mm -hmm. That's not true, you know, but that that memory of that meaning that we've made lives in our bodies. And so trauma research has just been so powerful in uncovering the ways that we have to go back and look at some of those messages we picked up, we created, yeah. even from some se- seemingly insignificant events for all the way to the big T events. Yeah. So that we can heal.
1: Yeah. That's so good. I think you use in the the term um, in that chapter, unwitnessed pain, yeah. Unwitnessed pain that, that, and yeah. so that was internalized. And like you said, we, we created a meaning around it or a narrative as this is the story of me then or the meaning of me is if, if it's like either I, I deserve that or there's something wrong with me. And, and we're often, it seems like then we're maybe not even that conscious that that's the, meaning or the story of ourselves that we're carrying into even to the present. And it's affecting how we view ourselves in the world, right? So exactly. So so then how do we begin to so one, even exploring maybe where did that originate? It sounds like you're saying, where did where did I pick up that idea? And maybe going back into those traumatic, big T or little T traumatic events and and inviting someone, I'm, I'm hearing you say, inviting someone to bear witness with us to that experience perhaps in a different way.
0: Exactly. So it sort of changes how we view I mean really it's so in some ways I think about this I think there's nothing new under the sun, right? It takes us right mm. back to this idea, but it helps us re reimagine what does it mean to be in community. Mm. Um Because so, so again, to your earlier question, why does it matter? Why did this work? Well, a lot of times these emotions, these uncomfortable feelings, these fight, flight responses, you know, where we, they're cues that there's a wound that needs healing. Shame is a huge cue that, that there's some wounds that need addressing that need to be witnessed. And so we don't heal in isolation you know, shame thrives in isolation. We heal in loving community. And we know this biblically, you know, God didn't design us to be alone, but we have this idea of community, you know, as either just sort of a get together and, and, um, you know, only talk about surface things or shame, you know, get to community where we like, just eviscerate ourselves for our sin.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas what really helps and the the best model that I've, come across or I've seen for how, what true sort of witnessing without shame occurs is the recovery model the AA model mm. you know where we're in a circle and we're saying my name's Allison and and this is this is what I struggle with and I keep struggling with it and everyone says welcome yeah hi we're glad you're here you know it's not we're not, it's witnessing, right? It's not fixing. It's not, um, shaming. It's not criticizing. It's welcome. We're glad Mm. you're here as you are. Right. There's that, that witnessing. So yes, I think Mm. that's what happens in the therapy room, right? We are witnessing when there's big T trauma, when there's a lot of these uh, little T traumas, we do need someone who's trained Mm. to help pull it out, right. Pull it out of the, the memory reshape. Um, So it could be counseling, it could be therapy, it could be trauma therapy, it could be, you know, a recovery group, it could be a small group, Mm -hmm. um, a spiritual Mm -hmm. community. I know I've found one of the most powerful, um, it's not unlike I think what you do, I, here in New England, I did a spiritual listening community for two years, it was quarterly retreats, and just having people actively listen to elements of my story was so powerful and so healing. You know, and at first yeah. I was like, what is happening here? Nobody's trying to fix me. Nobody's trying to, mm. they're just listening and reflecting back to me what they're hearing. And it was Boy, deeply powerful. powerful.
1: Yeah. I, uh, a number of years ago, you know, I've, I, I've shared in various places that I, I experienced panic attacks and, and battled with depression and all that. And for many years, so done a lot of counseling work. And about 15, 20 years ago, I did a week long counseling mm-hmm. intensive at a Christian counseling center and and some of it was individual therapy but some of it was they invited us to ask us ask me to be in these different support groups like AA or SA or other even even though I didn't I wasn't experiencing those particular expressions of addiction and what I experienced in that and and, and subsequently been to a handful of support groups I found it so liberating and powerful like you know nobody said hey I'm Richard and I'm fine me because then it's like, what are you doing here? Right. <laughs> yeah, um, perfect. then, yeah, then, you, yeah, then, then you're dismissed. Um, but, but, but what I felt sad about is that the church doesn't seem to function more like that kind of group, which I found so, uh, what is it, what is it that keeps us from even in the church setting mm-hmm. where we've supposedly the door into faith is admitting you need help. You're not okay. God is, you know, um, you need a rescue. And, and then it seems like we get on the other, uh, other side of that, that experience of conversion or, or whatever that experience is for people, I would call it conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but then we kind of, I don't know, we, 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 we bounce off each other's layers of, of protectiveness in some ways. I know. I, I, what, I yeah. Know. What, how it's speaking to faith leaders, I guess, I suppose, how could yeah. you encourage them to foster yeah. or cultivate spaces where people could be more, more vulnerably honest and and you know, in in ways. That I'm we're so glad about. you're.
0: No, it's such a good. It's it's something I'm really trying to think through right now because there's so much going on right. We're understanding trauma. Who's who's in our churches, right? People who have all sorts of big T and little T traumas. How do we move from this? We show up. We shake each other's hands. We listen to a great message and we leave, mm-hmm. you know, to, cause I, I feel for pastors. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a, and then all the pressures on the pastor to deal with all this in private pastoral counseling sessions, which is too much for any pastor.
2: Right. You know, right.
0: um, it's just too much to both mm-hmm. be delivering wonderful teaching every Sunday and then also helping everybody heal their wounds. You know, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, it's really, it's a challenge. Um, I think, I do wonder, you know, I think a lot of churches move to the small group model. We got to get people in these smaller groups. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. I think we need to think of these small groups though. How can we maximize them to not be more places of shame? You know, that, Mm -hmm. that's, that it's a good start getting people into communities, but let's, Let's put some thought into how we ensure that these communities have some structure to them where people are invited. Um, You know, I just know so many people that have had so many hit or miss experiences, you know? Yeah, sure. Um, um, And then I don't know, you know, I do wonder about, uh, you know, it's such a good question because we're so steeped in this model of somebody up front you know the pulpit facing the audience mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. the circle mm-hmm. where everybody's trying to sort it out with mm-hmm. you know it's it's just i go back and forth you know mm-hmm. on how to fix how to not fix cuz but how to how to be church um yeah. for each other um it's 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 challenging i i just would say that i do feel for pastors i think that's a lot um and i don't think it should be on pastors to be both the teacher and the healer, you know, to be kind of all things to all people. Mm -hmm. So figuring out how to create spaces for more authenticity, including, including from the top down, including how does, how do I get to show up as a pastor and a leader and not have to be perfect
1: (laughs) exactly yeah i do think that there's something very much there in terms of appropriate vulnerability you know for a a pastor or leader to to present themselves as a as a fellow traveler as a someone who i you know we have our own stuff and we're working through it too and then and then I, i i just want to come back to the what you said it seems like that like you said many small groups and i'm all for i'm a big fan of small group communities but But like you said, either they can become we stay up in our head and we just kind of uh, it's it's pleasantries or or we're just talking about information Mm -hmm. and or someone shares something. And then others either they don't know what to do with that or so they change the subject or they or they I'm going to I'm going to rush in and give you a Bible verse and try and fix you. But what if what if we could even equip people to do this, what you just said, just a safe space to name what is real and that we're we're in conversation with God and others about and ourselves, and we we'll have people just reflect back. I think that that literally that uh, you know, in training for spiritual direction, and I'm sure in training for in therapy, it's, there's a lot of that mirror, just reflecting back without letting me hear even sometimes literally the words or what they're hearing or seeing um, in someone else's voice and hearing the, Oh, like yes. did i see that did i think that and that's and I, I it seems like that could be really powerful if we could just help people do that a bit
0: absolutely kind of train people how to do this thing of the spiritual listening which is witness yeah which is what we really need is just to be mm. seen and known and loved because that unlocks you know that brings the nervous system back mm. to sort of this calm clear place of oh i'm mm. okay It chases out shame. We get creative. We start to understand, you know, it's, it's, um, I, I do think there would be a way, I think that would be kind of a neat way to bring in more of that into church communities and into small groups. I think that could be really powerful.
1: I wanted to, to pivot a little bit. You talked about, also in the book, you're talking about different responses we have to um, difficult situations we face. And many of us have heard the fight or flight. And then mm-hmm. and then there's an addition of freeze. You know, I fight, I yep. fight. But then you go into some some description detail that I think is, is really helpful, uh, this fawn response. Could you mm-hmm. talk about the fawn response? Because I think that is something that maybe people... Don't always see in themselves. Uh, it it might be a different and a different lens of. I mean, how how people respond to difficult situations.
0: Yeah, so uh, Pete Walker, his he wrote a book on CPTSD, complex trauma, and which I describe complex trauma as sort of a million tiny paper cuts instead of mm. that one big event. You know, it's mm. just. So it's a lot of us, you know, it's a lot of, uh, uh, but anyway, he talks about in this, in his book, he named this, what psychologists are now calling the fawn response, which is this Mm. idea. So there's fight and flight. These are survival responses that are conditioned into our nervous system
2: Mm.
0: that we learn at a young age. You know, we go into fight. Some people go into fight. They, they just, you can feel the adrenaline. They're going to, you know, the littlest thing, you know, and it's like that fight response and it's a conditioned response. So this is where, again, no shame. We have to start. It's not that we're taking people off the. people always ask me, well, is this then an excuse to sin? No, no, no. We're saying this is why it happens. It's Mm -hmm. still have to, we're still responsible for it, but we can stop shaming ourselves because we can go back to the, and we can see, oh, this is where this started. You know, Mm -hmm. this is when my nervous system started to respond in this way. Flight is just sort of running, avoiding, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that person that just flees the building, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, or ghosts the relationship. Um, Freeze is an interesting one where it's sort of both. It's like you, you your, your your, body's wanting to go into fight and it's wanting to go into flight. So you just literally kind of freeze in the moment, don't know mm. what to do. Mm. But this Fawn response is essentially this response that kind of comes out of, a, I'll get a hit of dopamine. I'll get a hit of what feels good to my system. So it's a conditioned response. It's conditioned in... When I win you over, when I please you, Mm -hmm. when I make myself so small that I can't be hurt. And Mm -hmm. it is a condition. So so it's a people pleasing, essentially Mm -hmm. trauma Mm -hmm. response, survival response, right? I will survive by making everybody else feel okay. That's Mm -hmm. how I'm going to survive. So the fight, the one who goes to fight says, I'm going to survive by putting you in your place. You know, Mm -hmm. the one who flees, I'm going to survive by getting the heck out of here. The one who fawns says, I'm going to survive because I'm going to make everybody in the room like me, not be threatened by me, feel safe with me. And it works. But the problem with it is it's then again, kind of like selflessness. It's one of these things, especially I see it in women, but I know it's true for men too. It's reinforced in church communities. Isn't she nice? Mm. What a good person, Mm -hmm. right? Um, You get Re, it's not, doesn't fight. People don't like it. They, they, you get, you know, flight. People don't like it. Fun. People like it. You know, right. people want you to do that. So it's affirmed. And so it's really hard to recognize, Oh, this is actually not healthy. Right. This is a survival response. This is how I've learned to cope. I need to shift away from it, but nobody's telling you that it's a problem. People are like, this is amazing. You know? yes. Um,
1: yeah so I th- it's I th- it's I tricky I, it is and i think i i'm i'm observing uh, 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 the the fawn one hit me personally i i think yeah. I th- we see pastors in the uh you know coming out of the pandemic where we're and everybody's been in crisis mode trying to figure out how do i lead how do i uh, how do i be you know what is our church what's the future all of that and i and, and you can see all four of these responses i think some it's like all right we're gonna we have to fight either either fight against some perceived enemy or make the people that aren't coming back the enemy i'm gonna you know there's a fight response there there's or a flight like i this is too much i am out i just can't deal and not yep. no shame no shame but i'm i can't i'm just gonna whether i physically i may, may still be be here but i'm i've checked out um yep. or or freeze like i just pr- paralyzed i don't know what to do and but i think the fun one i saw in myself because i I I worked with and around some some narcissistic leaders and I don't use that term lightly, but I, Mm -hmm. I, there was a part of me that said, I'm not going to be that I'm not going to be, I'm going to be the nice guy. And I wasn't even conscious of that, but I, you know, that's no way to be, but, but fawning, at least for me, it was like, I can nice people into, to wanting to follow me, so to speak, because I'm such a nice guy. And it, 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 (laughs) it, it wasn't intentional, wasn't even aware of it. But it's like, in hindsight, it's like, that's a different form. It can be but a different form of a manipulation. If I'm so nice, then I'll give you no reason to ever be upset with me. You need to just, you know, you need to treat me well. You need to you need to do what I'm suggesting. It's, that's right. I, I think all of those can show up in, in our leadership.
0: Absolutely. And you're saying something that self-awareness, again, any good quality becomes... Or kryptonite too, right? You, 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 and you're doing it, it's. It's getting at the motivation. It's. It's fawning is really about protecting me. And again, there's no shame in that. It's a learned response. It's something we kind of can subconsciously shift into. And so you have to begin to ask yourself, wait a minute. I want to be kind because I genuinely want to serve someone who's hurting. Mm. or am i trying to be kind in this situation so they will like me a whole mm. lot <laughs> mm-hmm. you know and that's a subtle that's a subtle distinction but if we're not doing that work of paying attention it's a slippery slope toward the latter versus yeah. toward the no 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 i know who i am i know what god is calling me to i want to lead well and therefore i i really want to show a lot of generosity and a lot of grace and a lot of kindness to these folks who've been through a lot Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. and that's
0: coming from a really self spirit led place inside of authenticity versus, I don't know what to do. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, like you said, kind of pivot toward, you know, slowly and insidiously becomes about, Oh man, that feels so good. Everybody thinks I'm so nice. Oh, that feels so good inside. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. such a subtle distinction. Mm-hmm. And the actions can look very similar. Right. But you know, and yeah. God knows, you know.
1: But it takes that kind of um, reflecting and that curiosity. And even to not just because my tendency, and I think perhaps others too, is to I see something that I don't love in a response I have and then go straight to shame you know, that's terrible. Stop it, stop it. And that instead of that, like you said, noticing with curiosity and bringing that into conversation with God and saying, you know, where is that coming from? And let's explore that and, and look at a different way. I I wanted to uh, go ahead. Were you going to say something? Okay. I wanted to, um, we've talked about so many good things. Uh, Maybe as we kind of get ready to wind down. Uh, There was something that really struck me in this term, locus of control, Mm
0: -hmm. because I
1: think that's, that seems very significant. At least it did to me, this idea of internal versus external locus of control. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a term from psychology that, and a lot of what I've tried to do in the best of you is weave in these terms from psychology and how they overlay with, um, biblical terms right so locus of control in psychology if you have an internal locus of control you tend to attribute what happens in your life primarily to to what you have control over Mm -hmm. so if this bad thing happens you know what was my role in that not Mm -hmm. to say that there wasn't you know if we're thinking about systemic issues if this bad thing happened that that you know that that was a terrible What, you know, what control did I have? What control do I have?
2: Mm -hmm. What
0: can I do differently? What, Mm. you know, what part is mine to play? People who tend to ask those kinds of questions with have an internal locus of control and it tends to be correlated with better mental health.
2: Mm. You know, when we tend Mm. to
0: focus on what we can control, what we, what our role is, what our part to play is, not to the exclusion of the fact that sometimes just bad things happen outside of us, but, but we tend to focus on our role on how to, you know, our own personal agency that tends to correlate with better mental health. An external locus of control are people who always blame everything on only external circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's always someone else's fault. I'm at the whim of fate. Mm -hmm. I might've gotten lucky or, you know, those are kinds of things. Now, if you overlay that against Christian, um, Mm -hmm. what I do in the book is we are kind of taught many of us as Christians to have only an external, you know, God did it Mm -hmm. only, you know, God did it. Um, or, oh, I'm I'm just so, you know, and, and, and I don't, and in fact, I, what I'm trying to kind of pull people out of is this, and also I had a part to play.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm.
0: I, and later on in the book, I get into what I call spiritual codependency, where there's this sort of idea of I hide behind God. It's all God. It's all God. It's not me. It's not me, which is, is actually kind of an immature relationship with, uh, you know, with God, I believe we're called into a partnership mm-hmm. where we move toward that. And inter- what is my part to play in this? Mm-hmm. I, I have a physical illness. That's, you know, the, the low hanging fruit example. God, I hope you make me better. Well, mm-hmm. I also probably ought to go to a doctor.
2: Mm-hmm. I
0: also probably ought to take a look at, you know, my, you know, and also, pray that that God works through all those things. Right. And also understand that some things are out of my control, but I right. do have a part to play in that.
2: Yeah. And, yeah. And,
0: you know, that's the simplest example. And so, and people understand that when it comes to their physical health, but it's true mm. with our mental health, you know, mm. I'm struggling, like what, what is my role to play in this? Um, or, and also maybe, you know, God, please take it away. Please take my depression away. You know, or maybe I don't have enough faith. If I just have more faith, my anxiety would go away. Or, you know, what do I have control over? What can mm-hmm. I? Let's go see a therapist. Yeah. What about medication? What about um, talking with somebody about the reality of what I experience? That's mm. something I can do. Yes. So that would be a, an internal locus of control going here's or, or what I do notice is I do struggle with depression, but I do know that every single day if I get out in some sunshine and I exercise and I get some good chemicals going, I feel a little bit better. Mm. I can do that. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's, it's that internal locus of control is this, and it gets kind of back to the recovery of the serenity prayer. Mm. What do I have control over? What can I change?
2: Mm. Letting
0: go of what I can't, you know, we do this in partnership with God, but I do see a lot of Christians use a lot of language that suggests we're just at the mercy. We're just at the mercy of fate.
1: Yeah. 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 I think you're absolutely right. And I think of that even, again, thinking of of people leading organizations or particularly churches yeah. and thinking we can either go, we can, again, we can swing one way or the other like, okay, you know, we can have the, if it's to be, it's up to me, you know, and so we're going to make it happen. We're going to climb, we're going to conquer our city or whatever we're going to do. That's right. And we extreme, you know, uh, one way or the other being, well, you know what? People aren't interested in God and church. We're going to just, you know, try and just do our best to care for the people we have which is important but to then just sort of go well there's nothing we can do about it. And Yeah,
0: God's not sending the people.
1: Right. But what yeah. what is it that And I, I that would be even a fascinating I think even a list for people to make even maybe even to literally yeah. write down. You know, what is it that we have responsibility for and can do something to about That's and right. what is it that we cannot and it, just name it.
0: The classic example, right, if you think about a church is nobody's coming. You know, God's just not sending the people. Well, what if our service is terrible? I mean, I, I you right, know, what, I mean? right. what, what if we're, you know, sometimes I hear that, you know, it's like, it's like, well, and not just with churches, with lots of things, it's like, well, actually, I think there might be a reason people aren't, you know, there's, the, and I love what you just said. It's kind of going, what is under our control? Yeah. What can we change? What do we need to look at? What do mm. we need to be good stewards of? And then, you know what, if if the people are coming, we can we can trust that we have done everything that we need to do. Mm. We can steward that knowing that this is, you know, there's, again, letting go of what we don't have control over. It's a much yeah. healthier way to live.
1: Mm. This has been such a, I mean, I, I really <laughs> could talk to you all day. It's such a great yeah. conversation. I'm wondering, as we kind of conclude our interview here, you if you could sit down with a group of pastors, faith leaders, nonprofit leaders, you could sit down with them and say you know, in this moment, which we're still, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic, um, I think, uh, where, you know, uh, we're adjusting to a new reality and whatever our church or organization is or is looking like now, how, what would you want to encourage them in terms of appropriate and healthy care of them, of their inner life, of themselves, as well as others? What, if there was kind of a, some key takeaways or or even just one what would you want to say to them
0: yeah just i i would want to say i think there's a lot of pressure on pastors in our culture right now mm-hmm. so much pressure Um, so much criticism. Hmm. There's just a lot of, it's, 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 and, and a lot of Mm expectation. So I would, I guess the first thing I would say is to just know that and go easy on yourself, Hmm. um, to quote Adele. (laughs) Um, but you know, to just be gentle with yourself and understanding that, um, again, toward the end of the, what we were just talking about, you have, there's some things you have control over and there's a lot you don't Mm. and start with yourself and then just paying attention, Mm. really paying attention to where you notice expectation, pressure. Um, where is it coming from? How much of it is coming from inside of you? How much of it is coming from the culture or people outside of you or your congregants and just really carving out, um, space in your own day, a spiritual director, a counselor, uh, just a trusted advisor to regularly be checking in on you so mm. that you are leading from that calm, clear place of freedom inside, mm. you know, of th- I, this is what I can do. I'm, I'm doing my part well, and this is what I can't, right. This, I, this clarity, of the boundary lines Mm. and you're going to need help. You know, you need Mm. someone to continue because the expectations and pressure is always going to come, but just learning to really exercise that muscle of daily. What am I, what can I do? What am I not charged with doing? And who is the one or two people that are regularly helping me stay true to that? Mm. Um, so
1: that's great. I just good, yeah, I advice. think just
0: understanding wise limits, wise, wise sense of for lack of a it's a cliche word, but wise healthy boundaries mm-hmm. of this is what I can do well, this is what I'm not gonna you know focus on, and I'm gonna stick to this and really trying to push out those voices of expectation and and pressure.
1: Thank you. So that's so helpful. I think a lot there for us to really lean into, and thank you for that. Uh, I want to encourage you. If you, the book, uh, the best of you, is really a helpful uh, guide, I think it's very accessible. It and, and and it and gives really some really good handles for the things we've been talking about today. So thank you for thank you for writing it, and uh, we'll link to it and to where people can follow you uh, in the. I love saying show notes because it makes me feel like I'm really doing something fancy, but, um, yeah, exactly. but thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for, for this time. Thank you for the conversation and thank you for the work you're doing.
0: Thank you. Thank you for the good work you're doing. Appreciate it.
1: Thank you for joining us for today's conversation. If you found it helpful, feel free to share this podcast with others and subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you found us, and give us a rating. We'd really appreciate that as well. Again, if we can serve you as part of Wellspring, we are here to serve the church, both its leaders and people in whatever ways we can. So go to wellspringca.org to see what resources we have to offer and how you can be served by them go to our Facebook page, just search Wellspring on Facebook, and you'll see lots of resources there as well. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, grace and peace.